Alright, good morning. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, well, since I just uh, have been on sabbatical and joined a couple weeks ago, I was like, okay, I hope I don't blow the motions. I'm sitting up here. But uh, thank you, Andy. I've been really appreciating these summers, the memorization we've been able to do while we've been out here. It's been a blessing. Have you ever had to do something that you had no idea how to do it? Maybe you bought furniture from Ikea and you're wondering, why are there only pictures and no words? I can't seem to figure this out. How about with ministry? Has God ever called you to do something that you're like, I have no idea how to do it? I remember as a 22-year-old, after a 15-minute interview, a pastor handing me the keys to the church and saying, we're glad you're our new youth director. I had taken zero ministry, zero classes in youth ministry. I had no idea what I was doing other than I wanted to teach the kids the Bible and love them. And uh, God blessed that, and it was a joy. But last week, we read about the plight of the Israelites, that, that they were experiencing enslavement, that they, their, their baby boys were being murdered, that everything was going wrong. And God saw their need. But God's answer to their need was actually to send a person. God was going to send Moses. And his task was to go to Moses and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And that was a very big task. In fact, he didn't seem very keen on the task, but God wanted to use him to accomplish the Lord's purposes. And maybe God wants to use you to accomplish his purposes this week. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that we can gather and read your word. Lord, thank you as we read through Exodus, this important story, this this narrative that is recounted throughout the different festivals that the Jews would do throughout their history as they look back and saw that you are the God who saved them out of Egypt. But in the midst of that, you were calling one man to do something extraordinary for you. And Lord, I just pray that as we read this passage that you'll help us to see that we are called to obey you in the same way that Moses was called to obey. Just to listen to your word and do what it says. So we pray that you'll speak through your word today. In your name we pray. Amen. Alright, in your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Exodus 3. We're in the third chapter. Exodus is just the second book of the Bible, so if you start at the very beginning, turn over a couple or turn over to the second book, you'll find it. If you remember from last week, God heard the Israelites, he saw their plight, and he was going to act. So verse one of chapter three. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father in law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now this was just a typical day for Moses. He was out with his father-in-law's sheep, looking for a good place to get some grass where they could they could go and gather. And he comes to Mount Horeb. Now that name might sound familiar because it's also Mount Sinai. It's the mountain of God. It's the very place where Moses would later receive the Ten Commandments. Verse 2, Then there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Now, we never know when God's going to interrupt our schedule. So on this ordinary day, there was an extraordinary thing 
happening. And much like when we're driving down the road and we see something extraordinary, often we want to stop and look or if we're walking down the road and we see something that doesn't look right, we want to stop and investigate. So he goes to investigate. And there is this bush. And we're told that it was the angel of the Lord that appeared to him. Now, angel just means messenger, but I think there's something more significant going on. Because the next verse, it says, When the Lord, that's Yahweh, saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. So the Lord from within the bush saw Moses, and God from the bush called out to him. So as one theologian writes, this is a visible manifestation of an invisible God. And many theologians believe that the angel of the Lord here is Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, because this is the Lord calling out of the bush. And the bush calls out, Moses, Moses. Now why did God call Moses' name twice? I don't know. But he did. And Moses said, here I am. Now here I am is a response that says, I'm available. I'm available. Okay, Lord. And God says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Holy means set apart, separate. It's best to think of God as other. There is an infinite gap between God the creator and us the creature. There's an infinite gap between God's deity and our humanity. In Hosea 11.9, God put it this way, For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. Now the crazy thing about God is God is transcendent and holy and other, and yet here when God describes himself, he says, I am the God among you. God chooses to live among us. So God tells Moses, I'm here, don't come any closer. Because I am holy, you are standing on holy ground, so take off your sandals. Now in our culture, we don't, you know, I mean it is nice when you go over to someone's house to take off your shoes so you don't get their carpet dirty. But it's not really this sign of respect. And there, Moses immediately would have known that taking off your shoes was this sign of respect. In fact, my, I have two uh, foster sons from Afghanistan, and every time they pray to Mecca, before they do that, they take off their shoes as a sign of respect. So Moses immediately knew what God was telling him. And then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of J- Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his faith because he was afraid to look at God. Now notice what God says about himself. First he says, I'm the God of your father. What he's saying there is, remember when you were born and you should have been thrown into the Nile? I'm the God that was there with your family that protected you for those three months. Remember when your mom put you in the Nile praying that you would be safe? I was the God there protecting you. Remember when your mother was asked to to watch you for your formative years and she was paid to do it? I was the God that arranged that. Remember when I protected you as you were raised in Pharaoh's household? That was me. But not only am I that God, I'm also the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
Now notice, God doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, Jesus points back to this. Because the Sadducees, when they were questioning Jesus, they didn't believe in the resurrection of life. And that's why they were sad, you see. But Jesus said, look, God didn't say, I was. God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still live, and right now they're living with God. And you have a choice to make. Do you know that God? Because when you die, the question will be, can God say, I am the God of Phil? Or if you reject him, then you're going to spend eternity away from him. God is the eternal God yesterday, today, and forever. Now, as soon as Moses realized who he was talking to, he hid his face. And we see this all throughout the scriptures. Whenever someone encounters God, they're afraid. But yet God usually responds with, do not fear. And God comes among us. But what did the Lord tell Moses? The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. And I have heard them crying out because they're slave drivers. And I'm concerned about my suffering. Did you notice that the Lord said, my people? God deeply cared for the nation of Israel. He saw their sufferings. When we cry out to God, He hears us. In the New Testament, we learn that as believers, we are loved by God, chosen by God, adopted by God into His family, sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption, and blessed. And that God hears our cries. And we know that Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and save those who are crushed in spirit. In other words, when we cry out, God hears us. One of my favorite verses from the Psalms this last year is just the simple verse that says, Help me, that we can pray to God in the midst of our difficulty, and know He is near. How do we know he is near? Verse 8, so I have come down. God is not distant and far away. He has come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. The time has come. God predicted it in Genesis 15, that God would grow Abraham's family to a large nation. The sin of the Amorites would reach their full measure, and the nation would be ready to return to the promised land. God's timing isn't always our timing. But in the midst of their suffering, he had a plan. He said, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. How will God rescue his people? He's going to send Moses. Now that doesn't seem like the most efficient way to save. And yet that is how God works throughout the scriptures. God works through us. God calls us. God uses us. And so we need to be available But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? 
Now, what will follow is five excuses or objections from Moses. His first one is, who am I? I'm surely not the one that should be chosen. I tried to be the rescuer, if you remember, Lord. When I killed that Egyptian, I tried to be the rescuer, but the Israelites rejected me. So his first excuse is basically saying, look, I'm not really qualified for this. In my years of working as a pastor, that is a common theme I've seen time and time again. But this is also something I've seen. God doesn't always call the equipped, but he always equips the called. God has something for you to do. He'll give you what you need to do it. Now, there's a statement that's often said by people that says, God will never give you more than you can handle. But that passage is nowhere in the scriptures. We don't see it anywhere. And when God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and do what he did wanted him to do, God was asking to Moses to do something that he couldn't handle. He was asking Moses to do something that he did not have a capability to do. But the truth is not that God will never give you more than you can handle. The truth is not God will never give you more than he can handle. Because he is all-powerful. He is almighty. And he would give Moses everything he needed to accomplish his purpose. Now when Moses replied by saying, here I am, he was using the same words that Samuel said when, when God called to Samuel. And the same word that Isaiah said when God called to Isaiah. But... When God started to tell him what he wanted him to do, he started to backtrack. And we can get it. Put yourself in Moses' shoes. I think sometimes we read these stories and and we're so distant from it emotionally. Moses is 80 years old. I know we have a a member here turning 85 tomorrow, I think. Moses is 80. When he was 40, he thought maybe this is something he could do. But in those last 40 years, he was rejected by the Israelites. He ran away from Pharaoh. He settled in the wilderness. And he was out, not even with his own flock. He didn't even have his own flock. He's out with Jethro's flock, taking care of Jethro's flock. And so, in this time, Moses has got to be going, I'm a nobody. How could I do this? You want me to go into Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world, And tell the Pharaoh, I'm going to take away your whole slave force. Yeah. I mean, just today, I was trying to think of an equivalent. It'd be like, you know, going into Russia and talking to Putin and saying, hey, stop this war. And Putin go, yeah, you're dead, you know. I mean, this is, and it's a much different thing here, but, but the same kind of concept. God is calling Moses to do the impossible. But he says, I'm nobody. It's not me. The next response, God says this, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that is who I, I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now Moses is thinking, so the sign that you're going to accomplish this is that after you accomplish this, then you were going to come back here? Can you give me a sign now? What do you mean? But I, I love when, when, when Moses brings this objection. God doesn't say, well, well, look at all the ways I prepared you. Look at all the things in your life. Go through this. Look at all your skills. No, that's not what Moses needed. God just says, I will be with you. See, God's presence is what makes all the difference. It's not the skills that Moses had. It's not the abilities that Moses had. And God does this all throughout the scriptures. 
God makes that same promise to Joshua and Gideon and Jeremiah and others. And do you know He makes that same promise to us? The Great Commission, we're called to make disciples of all the nations, but in the end it says, And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. When God asks us to do something, it's not our own power. God says, I will be with you. Moses' success was not dependent on his skills or abilities, but on God's power and authority. Now Moses responded to God by saying, Suppose. Now, this is, he's saying, look, I'm not, I might obey you, but, but I need some more things figured out. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell him? Well, he gives them excuse number two. But I don't know who you are. Now, God had just identified himself as the God of his father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and of Jacob. But Moses begins his objections with two of the most important questions we can ask. One, who am I? Two, who is God? Now, in our life, the two should be flipped. The most important question is, who is God? And the answer to that question really determines, who are we? John Calvin said, nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. It is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he first looks upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinizing himself. But God is gracious. And his answer, we see his graciousness. Rather than, than attacking Moses, he says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am is a statement of God's character. God is incomparable. He's incomprehensible. He's eternal. He always was. He always is. He always will be. He is other. God continues, saying to the Israelites, The Lord, Yahweh, that's that word there in English when you read the Lord in all caps, the word is Yahweh. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. God reveals, answers the question by revealing his character. I am. And then he says, Yahweh, translated Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yahweh was a name so sacred to the Jews that they refused to say it in fear of taking the Lord's name in vain. Before they wrote it on the scrolls, they would go through a ceremonial ritual cleansing, and then they would wipe off the pen. And before writing it, they would say, I am writing the name of God for the holiness of his name. Now the Hebrew word that God uses for his name, Yahweh, is derived from I will be and I am. In other words, I am who I am. I will always be Yahweh. I never need anything else. I'm eternal, all-powerful, self-sufficient, never-changing, faithful God. When Jesus was explaining who he is, he told the Pharisees, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus was claiming to be Yahweh, the great I am. And immediately the, the religious leaders tried to stone him. 
In Revelation 1, it says about Jesus that he is the Alpha and Omega, who who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus is the great I Am. Jesus said of today, you're struggling in darkness. I am the light of the world. If you are unsatisfied with life and find yourself wandering, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If you're searching searching for truth, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you're feeling disconnected from God, Jesus said, I am the vine, and if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. If you're worried about death, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus is the great I am, and our only hope for eternal life. So after answering him, God says, Go, (coughs) assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you, have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Now, first reading, you might go, wait, what? God told him to ask for three days? I thought he wanted to ask to go. But God was going to initially demonstrate. It was common that day to ask for this and then barter and trade. But he was going to demonstrate that even by asking a simple request of three days, that Pharaoh would deny it. And every step of the way, Pharaoh wouldn't release them to worship God at all. So God was going to demonstrate his power. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. Moses was prepared, or God was prepared to perform the ten plagues. Verse 21. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and woman living in the house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, until you will plunder the Egyptians. This was just as God promised in Genesis 15. And in Exodus 12, we'll see it happen just the way God describes it here. Now Moses has only had two excuses so far. First, who am I? Second, who are you? But his third excuse is, well, they won't believe me. God said, go, excuse, go, excuse. He says, well, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? So God would give him three signs. The first sign, he was to throw a staff down, uh, and then the staff turned into a snake. And one of my favorite verses in the scripture, Moses was afraid and ran away. I'm just picturing him grabbing his tunic and running away from the snake. And then God told him to pick the snake up by the tail, turn back into the staff. And I'm picturing Moses, who's scared of snakes, trying to grab the snake. The second one was a little more simple. He told him to put his hand in his cloak. When he did, he pulled it out. His hand was leprous. They put it back in, and it was healed. third one was very simple, too. Water on the ground turned into blood. And God said, look, perform these three signs, and they will believe you. It seems simple enough. Moses said, go, okay. That makes sense. I mean, I'm pretty, I was pretty shocked by the first one. Second one, 
Third one? Okay, got it. No, Moses said to the Lord, uh, Pardon your servant. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. Excuse number four, I'm not a good speaker. Now, Acts 7 describes Moses as mighty in words and in deeds. So what's really going on here is Moses doesn't see how God can change his speech. God says as much. Verse 11 of chapter 4, The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? It is not I. Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. God put Moses in his place and just said, Look, I already said I'll be with you. I'll give you the words to say. I will give you the power to say them. Now Moses has run out of excuses. He has nothing left. And so he just ends with this. Uh, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. He just gets to the end and says, Pick someone different. I don't know if as parents you've ever had this experience where you tell your kids to do a task and they give you an excuse. And then after they give you an excuse, you reiterate the task, and they give you another excuse. And after they give you that excuse, you reiterate the task, and they say, well, why didn't you ask my brother to do it? Why can't you pick somebody else? And much like a parent, I think the Lord's reaction uh, sues me. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. By this point, God had commanded Moses to go forth of Egypt. 4.12, now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. In the words of Philip Riken, by the time God had told Moses to go, 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 Moses had run out of excuses. He'd asked all the questions he could think to ask and raised all the objections it was reasonable to raise. In the end, his true motivation was exposed in all of its dreadful depravity. Oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. This fifth and final objection exposed what was underneath all of Moses' excuses, a fundamental unwillingness to obey. And ultimately, that's what it comes down to with us. The real issue for Moses wasn't his abilities, his knowledge, or his public speaking, but rather that he refused to walk in faith-filled obedience to what God was calling him to do. God is slow to anger, but that doesn't mean God doesn't righteously get angry, which he does here. But in his anger, notice how gracious God is. He continues and says, What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth, as if God, as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. God knew what Moses' response would be. He knew what he was going to do. So what did God do? God sent Aaron. Aaron was already on his way. Aaron was already coming to his aid because God knew what Moses, how Moses was going to respond. But he doesn't let Moses off the hook. It says, take your staff and go. Now, next week we're going to find out what happens next. And I'm excited about that. But, but today I want to stop and pause on three application points from this interaction between God and Moses. First, God is worthy of our reverence and awe. 
when Moses approached the throne of or Moses approached the burning bush, God said, "You're on holy ground. Take off your sandals." Moses had to approach God in the right way. God said, "I am the God who always was, the God who always is, and the God who always will be. I'm the great I am. I'm Yahweh." And too often we can take God too lightly. See, some religions uh, overemphasize the transcendence of God, that He's so other and powerful, and they, they don't ever want to have any connection. And others, the imminence of God, that He's with us. And, and our you know, faith shows us that God is both transcendent and imminent. He is both other and holy, and yet among us and with us. And sometimes we can lean the balance too far one way or another and we we don't see God as holy and separate and other and as a God who needs to be worshipped and obeyed. And sometimes we miss out that God is so great. So we need to approach God as worthy of our reverence and awe. Secondly, we were in the same place as the Israelites. The Lord said, I've seen the misery of the people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. The Israelites were in a position where there was no way for them to be saved from their slavery. All of us were at one point, or maybe you still are, slaves to sin. And there is no way of rescue on our own. There's nothing we can do to get to God based on good deeds. There's no, there's no magical weight system in heaven that if we have more good deeds than bad deeds that we're somehow going to make it. I've used this illustration before, but I think it's the best illustration, so I'll use it again. When my son was young, I had him go to the bottom of the stairs, and I told him he needed to get up to me at the top of the stairs, but he couldn't touch the stairs, couldn't touch the railing, couldn't touch the wall. And he couldn't figure out how to do it because it was impossible. But after some coaxing and explanation, he understood, Dad, will you come down, pick me up, and carry me up the stairs? So I went down the stairs, and I took up my son in my arms, and I carried him up to the top of the stairs. We can't get to the top of the stairs unless God came down. And Jesus Christ did that for us. He came down to this earth. He lived the perfect life that we can't live. He died the perfect death that we can't die, paying the price for our sins so that we could have a way. God came down to provide a way. So if you're here or you're listening online, just understand there's nothing you can do to earn your way to heaven. There's no good act you can do. God is eternal and separate and completely other. There's nothing. We have no ability to, to do enough good things or to attain enough perfection that we can get to where he's at. And he knows that, which is why God came down. That's why Jesus came. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. God came down so that we have a way to get to heaven and be with him forever. God provided that way through Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, give your life to him. It's simply recognizing that he is Lord, that he is Yahweh, that he is the great I Am, and confessing your sins and say, God, I don't, de- I don't deserve 
your, your salvation because I'm a sinner. But Lord, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross and rose again, and I want to give you my life. And then you'll be saved. So we can praise God that he came down. So God is worthy of a reverence and awe. We were in the same place as Israelites, but God came down to rescue us. And third, God wants our yes more than our abilities. Or another way to put it is God wants our obedience more than our abilities. Look at Moses' objections and God's response. Moses said, who am I? We often look at ourselves and say, I'm a nobody. I don't have any skills or abilities that God could use, but that's because we have a small view of God. We don't see what he could do through us. And so God responds with, I will be with you. Then Moses says, who are you? And the reality is if we don't know who God is, we can't truly know who we are. If we don't know who God is, then we can't have a true purpose in life. God gives us purpose and identity. And God said, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses said, they won't believe me. And so many times we're, we're hesitant to be obedient to what God has called us to do because we're worried, well, if I tell my neighbor, coworker, family member about Jesus, they won't believe me. But again, obedience isn't only there. What if they do reject you? Well, then they reject you. God still calls you to be obedient. Now, God was gracious and gave Moses three signs to perform. And, and God has never given me a staff or, or, uh, or you know, changed my hand into a leprous hand and turned water into wine. I've never been able to do any of those things. But God has given me the Holy Spirit to guide me and give me the words to say. That's a tremendous sign. God has given me his word. I see it in the scriptures. His very revealed word to me is written, and I can read it every single day. So when people don't believe me, I can say, well, I know your word is powerful. The next one, Moses said, I'm not a good speaker. Now, we can pick any skill. Often when God wants us to do something, we say, well, I'm not skilled at blank, whatever that blank is. But God said, look, who made your mouth? I am the one. I, God, am the one who gives speech. If I call you to do something, I'm going to equip you to do it. God will give you what you need to accomplish his purposes. And lastly, Moses' attitude is revealed. Please send someone else. God was gracious, and he did get angry, but he was accommodating and said, Moses, Aaron. We all need to serve the Lord. It's important for all of us to see a need and fill a need. Sometimes we find ourselves saying someone should do something. Maybe the answer to that should be, why not me? The history of Christianity is filled with people that saw a need and said someone should do something, and then went, oh, why not me? Why can't I be the one that does something? Now, as a church, we encourage people to have their primary ministry fit with their shape. We we talk in our in our new connections class about how God has shaped each of us uniquely, how we have different spiritual gifts and different passions and different abilities and different personality and different experiences, and how God uses those to shape us to to do His work and to do His will. And that is a wonderful thing. And I encourage you. That's why I'm a pastor because I believe God has gifted me in this area and God wants me to use it. But sometimes we get caught up in things like personality tests where we think, well, that's not my personality. I'm not an extrovert, so that should be something the extroverts do. Or we get caught up in, in skills. I, I, that's not my, my thing. 
But what if, you know, we get caught up in these spiritual gift tests too? You know, well, that's not my spiritual gift. But if nobody, if, if everybody who didn't have the spiritual gift of giving didn't give, then ministries around the world wouldn't be able to do their ministry. If people who didn't have the gift of encouragement never encouraged, you know, we'd have a sad church at times. If people who didn't have the gift of service decided I'm never going to serve because that's not my gift, then things wouldn't get done. See, it's a blessing and a joy to serve in the areas we're gifted at, but often sometimes we have to say, okay, Lord, where do you need me? And how can I be obedient? We all need to serve the Lord. And God's probably not going to show up in a burning bush. If he does, we'll have a pretty sweet church service that day. But God has revealed his will to us in his word. This has the very words and will of the Lord. And God is calling us to do the same thing he called Moses to do. To obey it. To listen. God wants our yes. In Isaiah 6, the Lord called Elijah and said, I remember, I forget what he asked, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Elijah said, Here I am, send me. When Moses, God called Moses, Moses said basically, Here I am, don't send me. Pick somebody else. Anybody but me. So my question to you today is, when God calls you to be obedient, when he lays out his will in his word, is your answer that of Elijah? Here I am, send me. Whatever, whenever, however, Lord, my hands are open. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Here I am, send me. Or would you be more like Moses? Here I am, not me. Someone else, please. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, Yahweh, the great I Am, the one who was and is and is to come, the eternal, sovereign creator of the universe, the one in whom we are unworthy to approach. Hebrews 4 says that that all of our sins, everything we've ever done is laid bare before you, the Holy One. That you see every single action we've taken, every single thought we've thought, every single motivation we've ever had. It's all laid before you. And yet, because of who you are, you say boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing you will receive mercy your time of need we are not worthy of that mercy and yet you freely give it we're not worthy of your salvation and you freely offer it we're not worthy of your forgiveness and that you cast our sins as far as the east is from the west and you remember them no more and yet so often we respond like Moses say send someone else Lord help us to see who you are and to want to obey to have open hands and say Lord I want to do whatever whenever however I'm open and willing Lord to do whatever you want me to ask and I want to be obedient to your revealed will in your scriptures helps us to live that out each and every day in your name we pray